Okay. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been a minute. And um, I am, I'm, I don't know what I feel about our new setup because we're in the living room. Yes. And uh, I'm liking it because I'm able to relax. It is nice. And we're not as hot when we're in that small confined space. Oh yeah, in the in the primary closet. <laughs> so, we have some room to spread out, which is mm-hmm. nice. But it's a weird feeling because both kids are down. Yep. Well, let's hope our four year old is down <laughs> and not listening to us talk. Yeah, which and could then, happen, and he'd just like stand in the hallway, which I have a story for. Yeah. Nah. Well, let's talk about that too. And then our four month old mm-hmm. is on and off sleeping. At the moment. He was really tired though. And I think we were pushing him. So he didn't go to sleep at, he could have went to sleep at six 30. So I think now he's just like a little restless from being pushed. I think he'll be good though. Until we, until I wake him up for his night feeding. I guess he looked really warm or he was sweating. Yeah. Cause we're experiencing uh, some type of weird spring heat wave this weekend. So it's a little warmer. It's absolutely wild. Global warming for you, I guess. We'll call it that. (laughs) It's for sure happening. (laughs) But we sound like two very drained parents. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, for sure. Is what this sounds like. Yeah, well, also a parent who one of us went back to work recently. That's true. So now I've been, you know, throwing that into the mix. And who knew commuting for only two days a week would drain me so much but anyways i took a really long well, nap yesterday i was just gonna say if anyone could guess who went back to work first <laughs> <laughs> it's me it is not brian it's not me but i'm okay with that it's fine i mean yeah. it's so different because now i get to work from home and mm-hmm. so before it was five days a week pump five days a week rush mm-hmm. home mm-hmm trying to scramble now it's two to three days you know in the first week I didn't even go in which was nice um and just being able to communicate too with my job and my team Mm -hmm. so if I am having a really off week and I need to be home for that particular week I think it would be fine but you know the norm and what we're aiming for is I'll be going in for at least a couple days Mm -hmm. and then we'll see where that goes no more than three (laughs) that's not i'm not going to go past the requirement i'm not an overachiever but uh we digress a little bit (laughs) but yeah let's talk about sleep since they're both sleeping oh yeah well kudos pat like let's pat ourselves on the back because we managed to get them both on the same schedule Mm -hmm. i think in the beginning we would get liam down and then blair would be up for an hour, sometimes two yep. hours. Yep. It, we, we weren't sure. But because it's not our first time around, we knew that, okay, this is the norm. They're uh-huh. going to go sleep a little bit later. If anything, you want him to have as long as stretches when you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. But then at three to four weeks, something magical happens in their little bodies <laughs> and they're real and they're able to, uh, div- div- they're able to figure out between day and night. Oh, their um, their circus rhythm. Yes, they would figure that out. Their circadian rhythm. <laughs> you see, we're tired. They would have figured that out, and they're able to 
understand routines and things that trigger sleep. So, you know, we do the swaddle because we still we have our Mm -hmm. magical snoo. So we're able to still swaddle him, even though he can roll over and he's getting older. Uh, That allows us to do that in a safe way. So we're able, that triggers like, okay, I'm, I'm going to sleep soon. Turn down the lights, put on the white noise. And then before you know it, he's like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. So once he got to three or four months, we knew, okay, now we can aim to put some, put him in the bed at the same time as Liam. And I think we've been pretty, we have been pretty successful for what, the last three weeks? Two or three Knock weeks? Knock on wood. Yeah, before you say that, (laughs) my God, no, but I'm I'm just stating facts of what happened. Oh, I know. So we've been able to get them aligned. So yay, that was good. Except when he went through his, uh, is it four month or three month sleep regression? It's like three or four months, whatever. Which were sort of maybe at the tail end, hopefully. But that. Well, he was still going to sleep. It was just more of, I'm going to wake up every two seconds because now my sleep cycles, now we're going to bore you guys and put you to sleep. Your sleep cycles (laughs) are more mature. And so after you don't go, it's where babies, it's like deep sleep, light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep. And now it's like, you know, all those varying, I don't even know all the cycles, but now Mm. baby, he's going through that. So if he's waking up a little, little bit, if he hears some noise, he can fully wake up and it's hard for him to go back to sleep. And so now I think we're past that and the snoo has helped, but again, knock on wood. (laughs) I'm, I, you know, I'm not even going to get into this, but I did see something about uh, someone posted. There's this therapist that I follow on Instagram and he's like, you know, there's always this like, what is it? You know, you don't want to jinx something if something doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. people don't say it or, you know, don't talk about it. But does that really change it? And superstition. Yeah. Right. Whatever. You, or there, you know. Oh, I see. Sorry. So like he was going to buy a house or they're building mm-hmm. a house or something like that. And instead of not saying, oh, we're building a house and feeling excited about it. At first, he wasn't going to say anything. And then he posted and he's like, you know, if things don't go the way we want it to go or something falls through, that's fine because we're happy now. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways, we're I happy now. Anyway, so we can speak about it. It's not going to change anything for us to celebrate what we've done but um, since getting them on the both on the sleep schedule, so now we're just kind of used to now being on the couch mm-hmm. by ourselves. Then, you know, grandma and grandpa at 10 o'clock, we're like, okay, <laughs> time to go to sleep. <laughs> but even by 10 o'clock, by yep. the time I actually go to sleep, it's not 11. So yeah. that's why I don't do it at 11 because be then I'll end up going to sleep at 12. Mm-hmm. Cause I feed the baby, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, we're, you know, getting up at 10 o'clock. I think you went into the room before me, you're like, okay, I'm going to go brush my teeth. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to straighten up a little bit. I like to wake up in the morning or at least have a nice clean house in the morning. So I'm just straightening up a little bit and I turn off all the lights and I go to turn and look down the hallway and we just to set up the scene, there are two nightlights that are in the hallway just to help like at night if I needed to run to the kitchen or something or for our four-year-old, right? In case mm-hmm. he doesn't, you don't make him scared. So it's just kind of illuminated by some light, just a little bit, enough for you to see some, <laughs> some something. And I turn and I see him just standing at the edge of the little runner that we our have in the hallway. Yeah, mm-hmm. just standing there, 
let me get a sound. And I screamed. I was like, oh my God. I was like, you scared me. And he just in like this monochromatic voice was like, oh my God, you scared me. I was like, you better get to bed right now. So I helped him back into bed. I think his pull-up was a little wet. He might have been maybe going to the bathroom. Then yeah. he hears me straightening up, and he just kind of froze and 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 stayed there. Um, but I helped. I changed, cleaned him up, and got him and got him into got him into bed. But that we're we're getting into those really scary moments of him just kind of getting out of the bed and standing yeah. like in the hallway Being or quiet. over us yep. in the bedroom. Uh, but recently we must be really tired over the last <laughs> week or two. We reached like a new level of being tired because now we just wake up and he's laying right in, in the middle, in the middle of us. Mm-hmm. And also our minds always somehow set like in, we go to sleep and we're close to each other. Mm-hmm. And then we wake up and somehow <laughs> we're on like opposite sides of the bed and we have a little kid in the middle of us. So Either Liam is pushing us aside or yeah. we're just like, oh, he's here and just kind of moving over yep. for him, not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But he's been so quiet lately. So I think quiet. he's I think he's learned because sometimes if Brian or I are, are awoke just a little bit, mm-hmm. we'll we'll take him back to his room. So now yeah. he's like, I need to be really, really quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what he's been doing. And to be honest, like. I just kind of let him stay. Yeah. Um, even when by the time when I realize he's there, when I wake up to feed Blair, I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, you can just stay as long as you get some sleep. Yeah. Because Liam without sleep, he's he's I, not fun. It's just yeah, he's a different person. He's a very different person. <laughs> and we tried putting him back in his bed for I don't even know how many weeks, and he just was restless from two or three o'clock in the morning until. Mm-hmm. Six and that's got to be too much. And then the morning, you can really tell. Yeah. And you have the morning shift, so I feel mm-hmm. worse for you because you can be a little... Because there were days I'd be up from 2 a.m. onward. And it didn't make sense because I'd be like, I'm the one waking up with the, yeah. with the baby. Uh, and I would be getting a little bit more sleep. Mm-hmm. And so now, Brian's like, oh, like the baby woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Liam's in our bed. I, I honestly must be so tired that I don't even hear anything. I wake up at 5 o'clock and... I see Liam next to us and the baby's in the crib or the bassinet and the snoo, whatever it's called. And I look at the app of the snoo and I'm like, oh, he did wake up last night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're the worst. But, you know, I really shouldn't say that. That's what we decided because nursing the baby versus trying to give him a bottle and fully waking him up. And then we went the hard way. So, yeah. I think I'm the person in the house that gets the least amount of sleep. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> I get the least amount of sleep. <laughs> Maybe we should be sleeping. <laughs> no, you like you need you need I your know. adult time. And so. if I went to bed now, I would I wouldn't fall asleep. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh let's get into this thing. I'm Fatima. And I'm Brian. You're listening to Millennial and Pregnant, or should we call this Millennial and Parents? <laughs> well, we'll have to figure that out, but we're too far in to change it now. Oh, that's fair. In this episode, we're going to talk about why women, especially black women, need to be their own health advocates. I feel it's like we, we threw a curveball because we were just talking sleepily about 
our kids sleep and our sleep, but we're actually, we want to talk about something actually pretty serious <laughs> no, today. Yeah, for sure. And I think even in the intro, we're talking about, you know, setting up with the episode about being women, being their own health advocates. But I think we need to stress that really, you know, the doctors and the healthcare professionals, um, you know, really need to make sure that they're acting in the best interests of their patients or specifically seeing black women as equal right, mm-hmm. to, to white women um, and, and believing us when we're trying to voice our concerns, because I think you'll hear further on, you know, how I've been my own advocate as well as other people. And still it was mm-hmm. a lot of push to get the care that we wanted. Um, so anyways, I digress a little bit, but, um, in 2021, president mm-hmm. Biden issued a white house proclamation stating April 11th through 17th would be black maternal health week. Um, and in this proclamation, he noted the importance of understanding the consequences of systematic discrimination that systematic discrimination has on black women or black mothers Mm -hmm. specifically. So I started digging into this more, you know, hearing about this week. Uh, I think I've talked, we talked a little bit about it in our first podcast or at least in a post that I've done, but black women are two to three times as likely to die from pregnancy related causes than white women, according to the CDC. Wow. You know, so they're huge at collecting this data, analyzing it and figuring out, okay, mm-hmm. what's happening here. Um, so during Black Maternal Health Week this year, it was really eye opening to see how many black women posted about their medical stories mm-hmm. and their birth stories. You know, people that I know personally um, or maybe just have a Instagram relationship with. And then others I have no relationship at all, but just kind of looking through the Mm -hmm. hashtag and and looking at some of their stories. And it was eye-opening in that, I guess I didn't fully, I guess how closely some of the Mm -hmm. people that I've known had experienced some of this, even knowing those statistics. And you'll hear a little bit more kind of why I maneuvered my birth the way or my second child's birth the way that we did Mm -hmm. knowing these facts um but it was you know it's like okay yeah this happens and it's a lot of women but it didn't really happen to people that i know Mm -hmm. and i was privileged enough to not have those experiences um or as bad of those experiences um in my first and second pregnancy so uh, I think it was eye-opening in that, just knowing just how closely <laughs> um, these things were happening to people that I knew and just like the details mm-hmm. of how how close they were to death, mm-hmm. you know, as you're trying to bring life into this world and here you are like about to die. And I, um, felt, I felt like I saw like this year, Black Maternal Health Week felt like everyone covered it. I saw maybe because it was the, the number of women and the... Um, the number of celebrities who were speaking out about their health stories, but I felt like I saw it everywhere. Yeah, I think for sure, because people now have a platform to mm-hmm. talk about this before it's just like, okay, numbers that a CDC report that comes mm-hmm. out and no one really knows about. 
or non-existent hashtags where it's easy to find what things are trending and and who's having similar conversations and so Instagram or social media has allowed this conversation to be more open and then people just pushing this more especially with everything with Black Lives Matter and just being more open to talking mm-hmm. about some of these things, which I think people are like, oh, racism, racism doesn't exist anymore. And slavery was over how many years ago? And it's like, uh, no, you know, and mm-hmm. even having the last president we had before just opening and just how many people are still very much racist and now openly racist as well. So if they're going to be so brazen to talk about and be racist, you know, we have to be, push even harder to have these conversations on why life as a black person in America is so difficult and so different, you know, Mm -hmm. and the numbers don't lie. (laughs) You know, some people try to not say, okay, science or numbers, they try to ignore those details, but you'll see, as we talk about it later, it's pretty clear that these Mm -hmm. things are happening. And so why is it happening? Right. (laughs) Um, and what can we do to make that make that better um but one of the big stories that we heard about uh is serena williams Mm -hmm. story right so and she had she had a history of blood clots mm -hmm. true right so i think it was in 2010 or something you know they found some clots and Mm -hmm. you know uh, i forget what the other thing they found but essentially there was like okay you're gonna have the this risk of blood clots the the rest of your life Mm -hmm. Uh, so she knew she was dealing with that. I think she was on a med- medicine as well to ensure that she didn't get blood clots and blood clots. That was, I think was like closer, if not like in her lungs or something yes. yep. like very threatening that this is really bad. Blood clots in general are not good, <laughs> but like as they yeah. travel up and, and clots in certain areas can be, you know, fatal. So fast forward, she gets pregnant you know, how many years later, I think mm-hmm. the, you know, that health, uh, diagnosis happened in 2010. So now she's pregnant and she's, you know, she's giving birth. She knows that this is, you know, an issue that she has, um, and to remember it. And then I think she was having some leg pains or something after, you know, birth. And so she's telling the doctors, the nurses, mm-hmm you need to give me this test because I think I have blood clots. Mm -hmm. People are not listening. I I don't even know. I, you have to go back to the story. I forget where the original story is in Vogue or something like that. I believe where she, you know, really details it, but she's pushing, pushing, pushing for Mm -hmm. them to give her this test until finally someone listens, Mm -hmm. um, and gives her the test. And sure enough, they find clots and rush her to Mm -hmm. surgery. And I think there were multiple surgeries that happened, um, to stop these clots from moving up to her lungs. Mm -hmm. And so, and this is a woman who's in, I call it a position of power and probably one of the most famous women in the world. Yeah. Like no one's listening. Yeah. Who didn't know this was her, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure everybody knew and they're still not listening. She's famous. She's wealthy. She has a white husband, right? So I'm sure he was there. (laughs) (laughs) Like seriously, she, so she has that. Um, she is educated, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and besides this health condition with these class, relatively healthy woman, Mm -hmm. like really healthy woman, she's Mm -hmm. an athlete. And yet, no one will listen to her. 
right? Mm. No one would listen to her. And she had to keep, keep saying it and knowing her own history was so important, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. Of course, you're not going to forget, right? She remembers that. Um, but you know, there's other things that maybe people are not aware about their health conditions and then they don't know that they should be advocating this hard because, oh yeah, by the way, my, you know, just thinking of all the things that you would want to know being pregnant, does your family have a history of hypertension, mm-hmm. blood pressure issues, like this can be preeclampsia, preeclampsia or anything like that, or um, there's so many different things that you would want to know so that you're able to properly advocate for yourself if mm-hmm. you're like feeling a little off um it doesn't help when you give birth at, <laughs> you feel a little you feel a lot off um so <laughs> then to distinguish okay going down the checklist is this normal is this normal uh, this is not quite normal mm-hmm. um so and then i guess there's a recent story yeah more recently um his name is charles johnson but he's he's suing a los angeles hospital for a wrongful death Um, due to the care his wife received and she died after she bled to death hours after birth but during the depositions um, he discovered that there is a disparity in the care of women of color received versus white women of the hospital Mm -hmm. and so I think I think that's in trial or going into trial soon Um, but that he's suing because there there he he believes there's racism in that in the hospital um, based on the care that white women versus women of color receive. Yeah. And so I think this is like the, one of the first cases that's been brought mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, up. So this is a pretty big deal. And so we'll be watching closely to see how that all pans out. And I don't really think that he's going to bring something like that. If you can't clearly see right. some of those differences and hearing maybe some other people's stories mm-hmm. about what happened to them. So uh, I would only hope even at a minimum, if he loses or whatever, that is bringing awareness that there are a large amount of cases happening at this hospital. What is that hospital going to do mm-hmm. to change that? What kind of training? Famous, what do they need? This are famous. This is like a, a, a renowned hospital too. It's not, you know, a, a random hospital in the middle of the country. It's it's a, a renowned hospital in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's crazy. And so these are like two really big stories, right? That we're hearing about that's getting a lot of attention. Um, But as we mentioned before on Instagram, Facebook and other, you know, Twitter, whatever else people have there, there are thousands more of these stories just like this. And some people didn't want, they didn't walk away like this guy who, you know, um, Johnson, who's suing the hospital right now. His wife, he lost his wife. He, she mm-hmm. wasn't able to walk away with this. You know, thankfully, Serena Williams is still around. But there's so many other thousands more women who died because of this. And it's sad because mm-hmm. there's nothing we can do to bring them back. And it could. It, the big thing with reading all of these stories and hearing everything that happened is that every it was very much preventable. <laughs> all you had to do as a doctor or a nurse, a medical staff who are there caring for the mother is look at the signs and not ignore her and do, you know, check a little harder to make sure that everything was fine. So, you know, cause like I said before, you're, you're feeling pretty off, right? <laughs> so you really don't know 
if something is normal if you're like oh I'm like extra tight or my legs hurt like is that nor is that normal I'm not able to move the same way that I want to move some people like yeah like well you just pushed a baby out of you you just (laughs) lost all this blood like yeah of course you're gonna feel this way um so you know it's also getting the getting those patients to be comfortable enough to share those symptoms also with the physician so that and the nurses to be like "Mm, okay like that that not sounds about right but Mm -hmm. you not being able to feel your legs like that sounds off let's get someone to run some tests and here are the tests that we should run Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're fine and not someone giving you aspirin or advil and be like oh yeah you just pushed so you're you're just feeling a little off let's just pump you with some pain medicine you're gonna feel better so um yeah, it's it was it's it was really like I said before, eye opening to see all of those stories and see some of the people that I know, you know, mm-hmm. personally and their experience. It almost made me want to cry because I'm like, I didn't you know, and I'll get get into kind of our our, our story right now too. So, you know, yay. <laughs> we found out how many He's four months now. Oh gosh, four I guess over a year ago. Third, huh? Almost a year ago. Yes, (laughs) over a year ago. Oh my gosh. We because yes because we moved into this apartment. Wild, right? Yeah. And oh, we've been here. I think about two weeks later, (laughs) I took a test. Uh Not not even. I think it was a week later. We were in the apartment, and and it's like, were you feeling that way because of your? your COVID vaccine or were you feeling no like because I know you know I knew that we I wanted to take a test and that this could potentially because <laughs> we were planning for this to happen but um I don't know I just kind of I was like this is definitely like I'm definitely pregnant like even as we were like gearing up to like move and packing mm-hmm. up our stuff I just something was telling me but I waited <laughs> and I, I talked about that in the first episode I waited a few weeks to actually like take the test because I was like oh it's kind of early I would have to take those first first uh response first alert first uh, alert or whatever test because I'm like oh yeah I'm like this is the very early uh stages of it so <laughs> you are one day pregnant so, you know, here we are, you know, <laughs> moved into a bigger space, uh, outside the city mm. and, you know, I took the test and yay, we're pregnant. And then kind of worry <laughs> started to come over me because we're new to the area. What am I going to do? I had done a b- bunch of research in my first pregnancy, so I kind of knew a lot of these statistics already. Serena mm-hmm. Williams' story had already been out, and just even my personal experience with just dealing with just other doctors and seeing the good ones who treat you like a human and seeing the ones that kind of did that don't and not listening to your concerns. Yeah. And so knowing that this was such a big decision, we decided that we were going to stay with the same mm-hmm. doctor that delivered Liam mm-hmm. with our... with our son now with our son Blair and that was a your decision that I supported yes because you were like a we decision it was a you decision Mm -hmm. but I'm supporting you yeah because yeah because you didn't really get into my business so I'm picking my OB Mm. but you heard my concerns whatever whoever you felt comfortable with yeah so you know I was going through the pros and cons and and everything else and honestly it just the pros of traveling into this city really outweighed the cons. And one of the biggest thing was 
can I walk away and come back home to, or the, you know, the child that we already have to my husband and make sure that I, and just to, to, to life, right. Mm-hmm. To like walk out of the hospital and, uh, be fine. So I decided to stay with my OB, mm-hmm. uh, and hospital and, and the hospital more impor- importantly, cause we did do research with the hospital, you know, when, my gynecologist that I had before, he was no longer an OB. Remember mm-hmm. when we lived in the city? And so he referred me to this person. He referred me to two doctors. One doctor I decided not to go with, and I think he was in a different hospital. Mm-hmm. And then this other doctor was in the hospital that we gave birth with our two sons. And so I did the research, and they had way better statistics as far as intervention Mm-hmm. So that means there wasn't as many C-sections mm-hmm. that happened. And there's nothing and wrong with C-sections. intervention section. across the board or just with black women? That's Across the board. Got it. Um, so that's a good point. Um, just across the board, it was just lower. And there's nothing wrong with C-sections. But if there's, it's a major surgery, though. Mm-hmm. I think it's great because now women are not dying kids are surviving because we have this this surgery the c-sections and it's amazing but if a woman or child does not need to go through it they shouldn't have to go through this major surgery mm-hmm. to when Just to it's not necessary the, huh and like and why would they intervene with the c-section to speed up the process but yeah. I'm, I'm imagining that's probably a longer process Yes, but you who knows? You well, know, again, some labor women could be, be you 36 hours of, of labor versus I don't know how long a C-section is. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, I don't know either. But I'm sure if some women who are in labor for days and days, mm-hmm. you, you kind of want to get them get it going. Right. So. I did the re- we I did the research and they had it was the numbers looked good to me. Um. So, and then obviously I had, once I did deliver our first son, the experience I had there was mm-hmm. just amazing. Like the nurses, the doctors, everyone that, even from the cleaning staff, everyone <laughs> that I met there was just so great. I felt like people saw me, right? Mm-hmm. And they listened to me and listened to my concerns. And um, the lactation consultant that was with the hospital, she was amazing. Mm-hmm. She spent so much time with me, followed up. Um, the next day gave me several tools to help when I got home to make sure like that I was yes. able to feed my baby. And she was, it was just amazing. I had a great experience mm-hmm. and so I said, you know what, We're, I'm going to do that again. And I would say the pregnancy went pretty, you know, similar. Um, but anyways, I'm kind of skipping ahead. So what that meant <laughs> now that we're outside the city, that meant commuting an hour, sometimes mm-hmm. more to get mm-hmm. to my doctor's appointment. And, you know, at first you're like, okay, like this was a little like break in the schedule that I had before. I didn't mind it too much. The weather mm-hmm. wasn't too cold and I was going every three to four weeks. Right. Uh, it oh, was yeah, kind of stagnant summertime yeah, into the fall. Exactly. And so it was kind of stagnant with, and so I was wearing my cute little sundresses. Like <laughs> no one could tell me anything, rocking my little belly. It was great. And then it got cold. <laughs> then my belly got bigger and my ankles got bigger. And 
I had to start going more frequent, right? Because uh-huh. before it was three to four weeks, I would go for my doctor's appointment or ultrasound or both, depending on how they lined up mm-hmm. in that time. And I was in and out, right? And now I would have to go back every two to three weeks. And then it turned into every week mm-hmm. I would have to go. And by the time it was going every week, it was freezing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was cold. <laughs> I didn't have my, I could not fit into any shoes that were closed. So I had the slip on sneakers I had for my last pregnancy and I would wear, I wore compression socks. And then I remember I was going in and it was so, it was like, it was like a dangerous cold. Like they were telling people, Mm, like getting homeless people off the street, kind of cold, like people needed to go into, to, to shelter. And so I stopped at a Target on before I got to my doctor's appointment because I need to find shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the end, I didn't even end up wearing those shoes because one, they were like way too big, and I was like, these are ugly. Like, they're ugly. They were like white. These white sneakers. And I was like, no, no. I was like, and it's not gonna keep my feet warm. So then I come home and I'm um, like, Brian, I need to figure something out. And so you drove with me to Marshall's yep. and you helped me find mm-hmm. I those. found them for you yeah it was like these winter moccasin shoes yeah. uh yeah. so and a like little two fur, little faux fur mm-hmm. action so it was two sizes to like bigger <laughs> than what I normally wore. that's how big my feet were like they it was just I didn't make it past 37 weeks last time and here I yeah. am at like 38 weeks and I was like, my mm-hmm. body was like, what? Like, get this baby yeah, out like as soon as possible. 39. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is 40, happening? Almost 40. Yeah. I was pretty much like just shy of 40 weeks, which three more weeks pregnant than mm-hmm. what I was used to was just a lot. Anyways, we found the shoes. But like, these are the little things that I guess I didn't really think too far ahead with um or just like all the little details that would come with having to travel into the city and having mm-hmm. to travel so far just to get to my doctor's appointments and then don't even get me started with or i guess it was more stressful for you because you were gonna have to drive yeah so then we were thinking what when are we gonna go mm-hmm. into labor because if we go into labor on a friday at three o'clock Yep. We're screwed. We're screwed. Because we are going to be stuck in the car for... Well, uh, it would be a reverse commute, so it might be more favorable. I've I've driven <laughs> to my sister's apartment, which is like... At oh, the, I guess not know, until you get into the city. Yeah, yeah that's like yeah. northern Bronx. And even to get there at the tippy top of the Bronx is a mess, a hot mm-hmm. mess to get mm-hmm. to that you run into like just the standstill traffic mm-hmm. every single time. So, um, we were stressed about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're like, when is going to be the best time to actually go into labor? You're going to have to drive. And Brian is the most content, like cautious driver ever. I don't know. When did you get like that? Cause I don't remember. Cautious. You. Yeah. I've always been cautious. I don't really think so. No, not that you were reckless, but I think you sped a little bit more. I don't want to get pulled over anymore. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> Brian gets pulled over one time back in col- college on our way to some break, and we were going to drive to Connecticut so that we can get to New Hampshire or whatever for your yeah. vacation. And since then, you've never no. sped again. 
but it was more, more it was so annoying because you were speeding up so that you didn't i know like I was get in off the miss your far exit left lane no i was in the far left lane i was trying to get over to the to the middle or the right lane and there were only three cars in this whole area so i don't know why where all the cars were because i think it was fourth of july weekend or about to be 4th of July weekend, and I couldn't get over. So I would slow down, the other two cars would slow down, then I would speed up, and the other two cars would speed up because there's one car in each lane. And I'm like, oh my God, you like you a-holes, you were not letting me over. So then I punched it so I can just get in front of these people so I can go and exit. And of course, there's the moment cop. I do that, there's a cop. I get pulled over, and it's a $500 ticket. <laughs> <laughs> And so that was an, and $500 back in college. That's a lot yeah, of money. And nothing. I'm like, how am I going to pay for this? Yeah. That was rough. A lot of extra admission tours, I mm-hmm. guess. So anyways, we digress, but that was like, so now <laughs> that's Brian when I became a cautious speed. driver. Huh? Yeah. That's when I became a cautious driver yeah. because when you get pulled over, no, you, yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's a waste of money, whatever. But so I'm like, Oh goodness. So how with on top of that and then the traffic, you're yeah. not as aggressive too like, when it comes getting over. Like I, I, I in hindsight, you could have probably gotten over without speeding over. You just got to cut o- off people. Like, what are you going to do? Ram in the back of my car? Like, uh. what, what are we doing here? Um, cause you have missed some exits a few times. Uh-huh. I'm like, Oh my God, Brian, you <laughs> have to like, you have to get over <laughs> Anyway, so I'm worried about that a little bit. I think you were more stressed than I was. Because well, I hate driving in the city. Mm-hmm. But now I, I've done it, and now I do it every few months for doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you, so the other thing, too, is, you know, you're like, okay, well, who cares? You're in traffic for about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. two hours. Sure. But I heard that the second kid just kind of, like, slips Falls out, out of you. They just fall out of you. <laughs> Excuse me for anyone who's like having more just diff- happened who, to my cousin. Who, yeah, who whose baby didn't just slip out of them, but so they say it's more common yeah. that the you know it, they it comes a lot quicker. So I'm like, well, my last pregnant, my last birth story was they checked in out. at the hospital at like <laughs> noon, gave birth at like seven. Yeah, you know, and even in those first. I would say four hours that I was at the hospital, I was, it was kind of like, okay, I'm kind of in active labor, not really. Yeah. And then the last three hours was like, yeah. and it was, we were done. So I'm like, okay, seven hours. So that means maybe it's like five hours, four hours. I don't know. Yeah. So it's like half the time. So if I'm stuck in, if I'm laboring a little bit at home, let's say for a couple hours and then you get stuck in traffic for a couple <laughs> hours, I'm giving birth in the, in the car. So yeah. I'm like, at any sign of being I'm in labor, I deacon. need to get into the car and we need to drive there. Yep. Uh, especially if it's a certain time of the time of the day. So we need to get there. So <laughs> anyways, with all this worry and you're just like, we have a hospital that's 10 or 15 minutes from us. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm sure there are probably gynecologists that are like five minutes away from me. Mm-hmm. But with all this, I made the sweet, I made the decision to still go into the city and to still risk it and have to be uncomfortable during the winter or stress about getting to the hospital on time just so that I had a peace of mind with how my experience was going to be when I was actually at the hospital and giving mm-hmm. birth. Mm-hmm. And making sure that I had people around me that were going to listen to me mm-hmm. and treat me like a human. Uh, I think 
another thing that I started thinking about just now too. And we were talking with my sister, my oldest sister, we were just FaceTiming and she said, you look like you're 18 years old. <laughs> you know, I look young. I think she might. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. I look we're 18 years old. Carded. I'm like nearing, you know, my mid thirties. So not soon. even, huh? You're like mid I'm early, like early, early to mid thirties. Yeah, there you go. You know, I so I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm going towards there. Some, and some people still don't think I'm like mm-hmm. eighteen or twenty one. I got I carded on the Vegas casino floor. Really, mm-hmm. I think the guy was just trying to figure out who I was, and so he wanted to look at my ID. But anyways, people think I'm young. Yeah. So I feel like that changes my experience too, right? Because then yeah. they are not going to listen to me because they think you're super young, or I'm mm-hmm. some type of like teen teen mom even though like teen moms like you still should treat them like any other like patient mm-hmm. but they might think oh she's so irresponsible like let, let's have like a little less respect for me even though i'm like a well-established ad- adult who's you know has a career and everything else but sometimes it doesn't matter because all they do mm-hmm. is they see you and that's it and yep. they've judged and made those assumptions in their head so that was another thing that i was worried about i'm like these people are going to think I'm so young. I'm going to walk in here and they're going to, you know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're going to disregard me and anything that I have to say. Cause like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Right. Um, kind of thing. And then by then also my fingers were, um, not that sausages. any of these things should matter, but just to kind of just set it up. Like, you know, you think about when people look at you in your first, their first vision of you or view of you and then how they rush to certain judgments. I think I was talking to my younger sister about something, back years ago when she was having an interview and she's like sometimes I kind of want to fake and wear a ring on her Mm. her finger because she's like sometimes people when they hear you're married they think something about you or Mm -hmm. that you're more established or whatever it else it might be which is like seems silly people who might be the sinners like oh that's so silly but these are the things when you're like interviewing for a job or you're at a hospital by this time I can't fit my rings so then I also appear to be an 18 year old or 21, less than 20, 20 year old, one year old, not married, black, young girl coming in, trying mm-hmm. to give birth. And just like some of the things that can be stacked against me for mm-hmm. people not listening to me and mm-hmm. thinking less of my voice because I'm young, you know, single mom. some people say irresponsible because I got myself into this place single, you know, all these things that they might judge because of what just looking at me mm-hmm. so um these were all things that i was worried and concerned about and you're like well you should just be thinking about your birth and like <laughs> relaxing and it's like no because that's like part of the package and so um i didn't i wasn't guaranteed that we we're gonna have the same experience with um with our first son with this one um but i was willing to take that chance instead of mm-hmm. going to some environment that was completely different than Mm -hmm. what we had the first time around and so I was telling this to someone who I'm kind of close to who had a really difficult uh birth story and I was kind of saying you know like I'm not even anywhere close to what you experienced because I had to do this xyz I just had to travel and she goes you shouldn't have even had to even have done that Wow. And I was like, okay, you know, it, it just helps to get, you know, a little bit. Cause mm-hmm. I, you know, almost felt a little guilty. Cause I'm like, well, I had like a somewhat really great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, that hit me. And here was someone who had like a very, 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 very difficult time. 
and even she validated or gave, gave me some validation that like even me making the decision and having to travel so far mm-hmm. shouldn't have been something that I needed to worry about. And so if I did just want it to just have the same doctor, just because you just wanted to have the same doctor, great, do that. Mm-hmm. But if because you were worried about how your experience was, then that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, um, you know, that was eye-opening you know for for her to say that and for me to be like yeah like that's true like I shouldn't have to worry Mm -hmm. about that I should have just you know went through the process of finding a new OB and a new hospital and saved hours (laughs) Mm -hmm. hours and hours over the last you know nine months because it was nine months carrying this child um (laughs) where I could have just been relaxing or just enjoying and less uncomfortable less uncomfortable traveling in the winter and stuff so mm-hmm. but that that's what I did and you know spoiler alert I think we kind of talked did we talk about mm-hmm. our story but it was great it was that long ago we did an episode yeah <laughs> I'm like did we did we talk about it um checklist and I'm glad like that it ended up being a similar experience that I had with my first son um with our second son where mm-hmm. We had amazing nurses, Mm -hmm. my my doctors, amazing, that are listening to me. But Mm -hmm. even in that amazingness that happened, there was a little bit of advocating that we had to do Mm -hmm. with our first son. I think this is more of your story than mine. Well, it's a shared story. It's our story. (laughs) It's our story. No, Um, yeah, and and we can talk about that. But I want to talk about those charts, those statistics that you... Yes. That you sent me. So I'll, I'll read that. I'll go through the stats and, and we can discuss that. But, um, you know, as you said, there were those stories, those, those mainstream media stories that are few and far between a lot of thousands of stories that we saw on social media and thousands of people that we don't hear from. And um, here's, you know, here's some few, a few pieces of information provided by the CDC to kind of just back all of that up. But so 700 women, regardless of ethnicity, die each year due to childbirth. But women of color are two to three times more likely to die from a pregnancy related cause than white women. So that kind of hits you. Yeah. Um, But even when you look at the state pregnancy related mortality ratios, even the states that have a low um, pregnancy related mortality ratio they still show that black women are three times as likely to die from pregnancy-related causes. Yeah, so it doesn't matter if the number is only one that dies, mm-hmm. then three women, mm-hmm. three black women are dying. It just it's does not matter how low or high the number is. It's always going to be three times higher. Mm-hmm. And this is still true when you look at age and education. And we'll just... Well, the crazy thing with the age one is that it jumps to almost four times likely as you enter into the 30 to 34. Yes. Which is the range that I was in. (laughs) So now I'm four times more likely because I'm older Mm -hmm. (laughs) to die from a pregnancy related complication. Yeah. And... Uh, and we'll we'll include this link. It should be in the description, um, just so you can have a reference for it. But that those stats are from the CDC. 
and then I guess the whole thing with like education or being famous or anything else, they also looked at education level Mm -hmm. and that didn't play a factor as well. I think it is, what did it say? It said, uh, for black women, um, with at least a college degree was five times as high as a white Mm -hmm. woman with a similar education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't matter. It doesn't matter. So you're sitting here, I can talk, I can articulate, not that education always means that, but you know, Mm -hmm. for the most part, I can talk, I I can understand, you know, basic things and maybe even more depending on what you went to school for. And that still does not matter. Mm -hmm. They're like, we don't care. Mm -hmm. We do not care if you're educated. (laughs) It does not matter. Uh, Because all we see is your skin color. Mm -hmm. That's it. The first thing. The first thing. Um, But yeah, and I think, you know, those rates are why Black Maternal Health Week was established. And that campaign, as I mean, it did this year. It just amplified the voice of black mothers um, and to help center the values and traditions of the reproductive and birth justice movement. Yeah. This year, just it felt like it was a loud megaphone. Yep. And I think it's just going to continue to get louder and louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, like I said before, st- staying really close to what happens with this this trial that's going on yeah. right now. And, and, and just with women's um, rights coming back into focus with uh, Roe v. Wade. And, you know, that's all women. Mm-hmm. Um, but does will we see a jump in? It's a it's deaths? a death sentence for for some women. Right. Mm-hmm. For a lot of women. Um, if you're forced into this, this is dangerous. Right. It's life threatening. And here they're saying you you don't have a choice. You have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, the same people who cried that you are, can't force someone to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. for the greater good of the world and you know don't come at me i don't care <laughs> you know like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know uh, for that or you you know wearing a mask like no like you shouldn't have to be you shouldn't have to wear a mask these are the same people who are saying but you have to have this baby mm-hmm. because the unborn fetus mm-hmm. but the woman like without the woman being alive the baby would not be able the fetus would not be able to be alive. So it's the decision of the mother. Like, hello. Um, but, you know, then moving forward, we're just talking about having a health a- advocate, right? Mm-hmm. And I so, feel like everyone in this, in the second birth uh, journey, the every everyone was so attentive, attentive to you in the hospital, even when you had a little thing of gas inside of you yeah like they were like they called in i don't know who that woman was was she like the gas expert or um she ended up providing you gas x but she came in and she's like so describe the pain tell me about the pain where do you feel it like she was just very she was it looked like she was listening to you Mm -hmm. um the i don't know she was a gas i forget what she was i think they thought something might have been wrong with my like because where it was yeah my lungs or something like that. So yep. I, she was some type of other physician. Yep. And so she was asking me like, mm-hmm. if there was something wrong with her lungs, these are all the things right. And she, so she listened to everything. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I was feeling some very intense pain. I went to go change in the bathroom and I went to like lift my arm up or something. And I was feeling intense pain on my, 
I think it was my left side, um, like in my rib yep. cage type area where I couldn't even really lift my, my arm. It was mm-hmm. just so painful and it just felt like it stayed, it came on and it kind of just stayed there and maybe gradually got like better. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. I, I can't even describe it, but it stopped me a couple of times and it, mm-hmm. it, it came back um, two or three times and I let the nurse know. So she got a physician and they called my doctor mm-hmm. to delivering do- like the doctor who delivered my child, make sure they called him because mm-hmm. did something going on. Do you remember what happened during, like they kept everyone in the loop yeah. on what was happening and, you know, you know, uh, check for my breathing or anything told me like let them know if it happened again then she's like okay like this can happen you know your your legs open open wide you know you're giving birth she's like sometimes air can get trapped up in your body (laughs) guys this is serious like uh gas can be very painful if you have it trapped in your body and you you can't move it and not like your normal i'm gonna fart and like get it out (laughs) gas right from eating black beans or something no you know it, it could be like you hold that's like don't hold on to your farts and stuff you have to release gas because if it gets trapped in your body you can have a lot of like discomfort um in just like that this whole midsection of your body mm-hmm. um so it's serious even for babies they don't tell you big warning if babies are gassy they're in pain mm-hmm. <laughs> like think of that pain um so she was like, that can happen. So here, I'm going to give you this. But once again, tell us if you're still feeling anything. Once she gave me that, I felt like 10 times better by yeah. the time I walked out the hospital. Yeah. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it when I got home, like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my doctor made sure he called me again and was mm-hmm. like, are you sure? He's like, do you want to stay another night? I just wanted to go home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, I, I was, it wasn't, I was only there overnight, but I just wanted to go home. But I also knew I was listening to him. I knew the importance. Like if I was still feeling that way, I would not have left. I would have just stayed, probably made you sleep there with me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I would have just like, I would have stayed. But anyways, yeah. by the time I think the nurse and doctor was right. And that I just had some trap gas <laughs> <laughs> that was causing some really severe pain. Mm-hmm. So just FYI, if anyone's, you know, don't default to that, but just something to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, maybe like, can you just give me a gas X pill or something? Mm-hmm. And then, or whatever stretches and stuff that you can do to help get it out. Um, that could possibly be something that happens. It didn't happen my first time, but it happened my second time. <laughs> and that's, and, and I think that's something that the nurse, um, or the doctor could have been dismissive on. Mm-hmm. And instead the team came in and just, they went down a whole checklist of things yep. to rule out. Okay. Yep. So it doesn't feel like this. So it's not that it's not as serious as something in your lungs. Okay. What about this other organ? Um, so something, something that might, it's so so not small for gas, but something like just gas. Um, they, they went through a whole checklist Mm -hmm. of things and it just, it was just very, they were very attentive to you for sure. Um, hands down, great experience. Um, but even then when I was, when we finally got to my doctor's office, we told the whole birthing story when we were driving through that traffic and the hospital floor was like packed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got one of the last two beds 
then my doctor checked me and I wasn't super far along I was walking around like about two centimeters dilated for like two weeks and they checked me and even though I was feeling intense pain I was only four centimeters and that's like really nothing but I think my doctor knowing my body and I it had a, it had been four years in his defense that I he delivered my son. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you remember how quickly I progressed? Uh, but he didn't he he didn't see my water broken. So and he knew I was in a lot of pain, and I was only four centimeters dilated. So he's like, I might have to give you pitocin. I was like, I don't want pitocin. Like mm-hmm. even through my 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 pain, I, but like. Reviewing all the details of everything that was going on, I think he was just f- afraid that I was. It was intense for me, and I wasn't progressing, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really progressed for a couple of weeks. So he's like, "I just might have to do it," and so I was like, "I want to. I'll hold off as much as I can <laughs> to make sure I don't need to have that." And so when I got upstairs, and he's like, "Okay," I went up to the hospital. And he's like, "I'll be over." And when I got there and I, my nurse, nurse JJ, (laughs) shout out to her. I told her, I was like, you know, my doctor was worried that I wasn't going to progress really quickly. I don't want Pitocin. I was like, I might, you know, in whatever state or pain that I'm in, you were still waiting to get upstairs. So I was talking to her and I wanted just to make sure she knew. And she's like, okay. She's like, yeah. She's And she's listening to me. She's like, I will make sure. She's like, there's a little bit. Um, she's like, are you fine with like when you deliver the placenta? We use it for that. That just helps to make sure we get everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, I'm okay with that. I was like, I just don't want to use that in the birth, um, uh, the birth of my son. And so I even heard her say something to either mm-hmm. another nurse because she was actually a train. She was, she had she was one of a new she was a, she'd been a nurse in a different department and she but she mm-hmm. just recently went over to labor and delivery i even heard her say it's the other nurse who was kind of just shadowing her i think mm-hmm. the part that she was in her training was that someone was just looking mm-hmm. no one was really intervening and at points she was the only person in the room mm-hmm. so she did amazing for yeah. it to be like she's a newbie and she was just <laughs> she was she was just great yeah um i can't stress that enough and i heard her you know say that to the other nurse and i don't know she told the doctor i don't know but she just the doctor had come in at some time some point he had mentioned pitocin and she's like no no that's you know just for the that's for the placenta right yeah (laughs) yeah so she she's like she's like oh yeah for sure she's like i'll make sure so even like a small little request at that which again placenta uh pitocin is not terrible if you need it (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you don't need it no one needs to give it to you (laughs) because you know your body uh will know what to do well naturally you know but sometimes it needs that extra push because something sometimes stuff happens right Mm -hmm. um just like you would need to take advil for a headache sometimes you need to take pitocin to help get your body a jump start to deliver your baby if Mm -hmm. it's stuck or it's just not doing what it's supposed to I'm a full support supporter of medicine and science (laughs) and having an intervening when you need to intervene. I knew my body and the pain and stuff that I was feeling. And I knew I was, I was like, I'm not, I don't need it. Mm -hmm. Then when they checked me, when he finally got there and he checked me, um, no, I think, did they check me before they checked me before I got the epidural i was yep. close to eight centimeters dilated mm-hmm. he came and he was like you can give birth anytime now yeah. <laughs> by the time my doctor got there um yep. which was less than like three hours 
um, or just about three hours when I was there, I was already like close to 10 centimeters mm-hmm. dilated. Mm-hmm. So crisis averted. I didn't need <laughs> it. Um, I think. And then when he's checking me, I think at that time I was like, Oh, my water just broke. Yeah. Cause I felt yep. the rush of water. And he's like, yep. So he's like any second now, yeah. cause here I am almost 10 centimeters dilated and my water broke. So I was giving birth. He's like any second. And then yep. I just walk out. Yeah. And then he, just left. he was very casual. <laughs> I'm like any second. So stay in the room with yeah, me. Exactly. No, they'll say any second. And they're like, okay, just, just buzz it. He's like, don't push. You might feel pressure. Just don't push. And I was like, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push. Um, but just those like little things of, you know, me telling my, my nurse, um, you telling the first time around that to him, uh, to my doctor being like, no Pitocin. Cause at that time, no one even had a conversation with me, yeah. even as great as, as much as I love my doctor and how he did a great job with both my pregnancies and, del- and deliveries, uh, he turns in the to- first time that we were in that experience, he wasn't even consulting me on the Pitocin. Mm-hmm. We knew to look out for. We wouldn't after have talking, known after watching that documentary what Pitocin by Ricky was. Lake. What'd you say? <laughs> after watching that documentary yes, with Ricky Lake. the business of being born. Mm-hmm. We watched that documentary and she talked about Pitocin mm-hmm. in there. And I would have even, I would have thought it was just like some, like if you said IV, it would like, I was like, oh, okay, they're just giving yep. me like a, little medicine like and not really questioning it Mm -hmm. and because we watched that because i'm a big researcher and whatever i do being the virgo that i am and so that was one of the things i did to prepare for pregnancy and prepare for labor so i knew to look out for Mm -hmm. that term and so you kind of heard him just say that to the nurse so he's like ordering it yep and like nope yeah nope 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 yep like she does not want Pitocin. Yep. And then I think he tried to be like, well, I think we'll need it at some point. Or like, we don't need it now. Yeah. We don't need it now. So there's no need to order it. And so it's just like, once again, it's the business of being born. The first time around, I gave birth on Mother's Day, mm-hmm. pulled him away from Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And really, I was the only person there. So I was like, okay, I don't want to be here. And I was, I know. I was the only person here. <laughs> and then the second time around, it's the extreme where the entire floor was it's taken felt. up. It's a weekday. So, so they, everyone's in normal business hours. Yes. Yeah, you need a bed. Yep. Women need to be born. Uh, babies need to be born. <laughs> Women need to be born. And a You're, mother is also you, born the yes, same day. Yes. You know, um, <laughs> that's for another episode, but yes, but like, so there was the extreme of trying to free up a bed. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course I wonder how many women on that floor got in Pitocin if they didn't go into, if they didn't give birth as quickly as I did, mm-hmm. I think I probably, got, I probably got, I got out of that floor before most of the women that were there before me. That's how quickly so. it happened. Yeah. So, um, second yeah. kid just falls out. Huh? The second kid just falls out. Seriously. They really do. Cause my doctor goes, did I even do anything? I was yeah. like, and so the nurse goes, yeah, he should remember that when he sends you the bill. <laughs> yeah. I want to be like, do you remember the first time you, mm-hmm. you just caught the kid? Yeah. I'm like, how many babies have you birthed I know. that like 
like i'm not gonna remember everybody's yeah right but i was like did you not put a note in my little thing being like she gets birth really quickly yeah um because the first well, she time she doesn't need me he's <laughs> rushing kidding. in to, my mom's helping him put on his like Gown. surgical things because that's how quickly uh it had happened the first time so the second time was uh not a surprise at least for me that that happened mm-hmm. but like with you know with all that being said you know it just it just makes it more important for you to um one be an advocate for yourself mm-hmm. uh so that what does that mean how do you how can you be an advocate for yourself knowing like just a, a little bit of the terminology and stuff mm-hmm. that they use right in there but also you can make sure being like what is that mm-hmm. so what if you didn't watch the business being born if you hear a doctor or someone putting something in your iv or doing something you have the right to be mm-hmm. like what is that what, is what that? are you doing what does it do do you do i need it is it absolutely necessary like you can ask those questions there mm-hmm. are going to be times for sure emergencies where you're mm-hmm. like they're telling you you're in, you're in distress so you can't really figure out what's happening or the baby's in distress and they have to act quickly mm-hmm. so there are times where you can't do that but in my situations i could i had the privilege or luxury of being able to be like what is that what's going on do i really need that i don't really need that and i knew the terms to look out for so i think it's important that ask those questions if you can't ask the questions knowing that there's someone else in the room uh whether it's your husband or your partner whoever is your birthing person um that's there that they kind of know how you want things to go and Mm -hmm. advocating to make sure that you're getting the experience and the care that you need and even if you have no one in the room mm-hmm. I had no one for a short amount of time I had no one I just had my nurse JJ and that's it so I let her know mm-hmm. what I want I was like for whatever reason if my husband who's right downstairs can't mm-hmm. get up here before I have to get this baby out of me please make sure that this doesn't happen mm-hmm. so using your voice um, is super important and making mm-hmm. sure you know like Serena Williams had to keep pushing, pushing, pushing if people are not listening to you and making sure it's known. Um, so having those advocates is super important. But then ultimately when it comes down to it, these healthcare professionals need to make sure that they're listening and that someone doesn't have to repeat themselves multiple times. And sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know more better than what the patient knows mm-hmm. because if the patient is telling you they're in pain or in distress you have to listen to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to listen to them. Um, and and that's important. And so there needs to be, I don't have all the answers, trainings some way <laughs> uh, for the current people who are in this, um, in this system to make sure that they're not mm-hmm. doing some of these things either because. They're moving bias. Yes. In the subconscious, they don't know what's happening or whether they're just truly being uh, discriminatory, right? Um, That needs to be figured out. But even more importantly, then we also need to have more professionals who are of a different ethnicity or background Mm -hmm. who are flooding these systems so that they can advocate on behalf of some of these people. And because they are, they're black women, so they, they know, you know. And not to say that not some black women, you know, might not see some you know because they're being 
trained and educated mm-hmm. in the same system that they can turn out doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it helps if like, you know, you get as many as possible um, so that they, it just mm-hmm. change, it'll change the numbers. Yeah. Um, so I want your healthcare so that's a teams, longer game, huh? I want your healthcare teams across the country to reflect the population. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so that's a much longer game, right? Because you have to get people into the profession trained and everything else, but there needs to be some type of push and funding and education around that and getting people mm-hmm. into these different profession professions. And but regardless of geograph, geography, yeah. <laughs> geography, cities, like the makeup of the city can't be the same makeup of the hospital. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to spread the, you know, where we are predominantly white, mm-hmm. um, you know, you need to still have diversity amongst your staff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, cause it's, it's just, it's just important. Um, but yeah, I think that's my suggestion. We'll see <laughs> what happens. And like I said before, I'm very curious to see what additional stories come out next year around Mm -hmm. this week um as well as what comes out of this case that's happening Mm -hmm. to see what kind of changes the hospital i think regardless the bad publicity is going to push them to do Mm -hmm. something to say we're doing xyz Mm -hmm. or at least to show the numbers or show what they're currently doing something Mm -hmm. um and other major hospitals might be already looking at that mm -hmm. seeing what's going on with this hospital yeah. Like let's double check ours. Let's yep. hope hopefully if it's a a hospital who doesn't want to encounter the same situation. Because these numbers are higher than some third world countries mm-hmm. where black women are dying, which the last I checked, we're not a third world country. So why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Right. So uh hopefully the numbers get better. Hopefully these stories are some of the last that I'll hear of horror stories right Mm -hmm. and sometimes you can't avoid it it's just women's bodies and doesn't always do what you want it to do and but like i said before what they're saying with a lot of this research is a lot of these deaths are very preventable Mm -hmm. if we just listened and saw the signs of clots of hemorrhaging then these women could still be alive that's all for this episode but make sure you're following the show so you know when the next episode is out Check out our website, liliesandloafers.com, for cooking and DIY inspiration and more updates from our growing family. Millennial and Pregnant is a Lilies and Loafers original podcast. It's hosted by me, Fatima. And me, Brian. Original music by Purple Planet. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.